I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we're going to be talking about a music memoir that is an absolute blockbuster. It's The Woman in Me by Britney Spears. And I have with me Rob Sheffield and Britney Spanos to talk about it. It's quite a powerful book. It's a very specific book. I think we all agree that the heart of this book is Britney telling her truth about the conservatorship. There's a few other things she, that she definitely wanted to get out, such as her side of, of her relationship with Justin. But it feels like you were saying that it almost was all constructed just to get to that part. The entire purpose of the book and why she's releasing it, it, it is because of what she endured for 13 years at the hands of her dad and at the hands of the people who put her in a in an involuntary conservatorship. And it's clear that she would... Uh, it, I don't know that in an, an alternate timeline of Britney in her career that she would have written a memoir maybe ever. It seemed like what she wanted more than anything was privacy. And that was something that evaded her for much of her life. I always think of an interview that I think, Rob, you did it with Britney, where she talked about how she wanted to like go off to a castle and just be there for an indefinite amount of time and everything. That's what she wanted out of her career. And so I don't think she would have written this if there wasn't the idea that she needed to express what happened to her and what sort of led from the familial side of things to this point of her being told that she cannot be in control of her own life, of her own business, of her career. There is a clear sort of narrative arc of this lack of freedom that was leading to a actual kind of being caged in and imprisonment of sorts. And I think if you come to the book as I originally did, looking for a more comprehensive memoir, in some ways it does skip things that as a fan you might want to hear about. It helps to understand the purpose you were just speaking about because, you know, the things I was missing were, for example, she skips the entire recording of her second album. There's not a word about it, not even a mention. It's just all of a sudden she's performing it on stage. And I, I love that album and I wanted to know more. <laughs> I wanted to know too. And I wanted to know more about it. And, you know, there was yeah. those other musical things that she and her, her ghostwriter are ghostwriters. And it is often about a ghostwriter interviewing a subject and then writing stuff and the autobiography then approves what was written. And sometimes it's just clear that, that they don't want to talk about something. And in this case, she didn't seem very interested in talking about, for example, her second album, or doesn't have clear memories of it. The Mickey Mouse Club stuff doesn't really come to life for me. It seems like you could have written a whole chapters in Jamie Lynn Spears' book, Much Hated by Every Britney Stan. You actually get a more vivid picture of the Mickey Mouse Club in her book because she was kind of like hanging out on the side, I'm sure, annoying the hell out of Britney. But she paints what it was like on a daily basis. Probably the, one of the most hated books ever written was Jamie Lynn Spears' uh, memoir. Uh, her sister, if you look at it, it has like a negative 90 on Goodreads. Every review is, is like, this is the worst person on earth. <laughs> she betrayed her sister, and I hope that this book, you know, goes to the depths of hell. Give us the title, of this, <laughs> this unbelievably genius title of this book. Jamie Lynn Spears, The Things I Should Have Said. Top 10 music memoir titles of all time, for sure. <laughs> Look, if you go into that book with the understanding that it's going to be a very unreliable narrator, there are interesting things in it. Brittany hilariously, I'm sorry, says that... <laughs> literally says that Jamie Lynn Spears is, quote, a bitch. Total bitch. <laughs> she was like 13 or something. She was like... talking about her when she was like a tween. It's yeah. unbelievable. After that, you, you do want to hear what does this person have to say for themselves. And then Britney mentions Toxic, probably my favorite Britney Spears song, but only she just says it was innovative, but you don't get anything on the making of Toxic. <laughs> 
So if you're coming to the book for that, you're going to be bummed out. But going in knowing it's not about that, and maybe when she's in a different place, there'll be a book that's, I think it leaves it open for a book, honestly, that's more about her music, that, that could still be done if she wanted to, especially after this becomes possibly the best-selling book in the history of human civilization, <laughs> which is about to. At the same time, these those are all my caveats. But to be clear, it's an incredibly humanizing and powerful book that would make anyone, even the biggest fan, have to reevaluate Britney Spears and, and perceptions of her. And even if you were already totally sympathetic to her, as many of us were, it only makes you more sympathetic and empathetic for her. But Rob, where would you rank this among musician autobiographies, among celebrity autobiographies? Are there any similarities to other ones that you might call out? As we mentioned, it's very much a, a post-Mariah book. Mariah just raised the standards so incredibly high with Mariah's incredibly brilliant book, which really was a whole new approach where she didn't feel any pressure to mention things that she did not want to talk about. If you look up Jennifer Lopez in the index, you're not going to find her anywhere. You're not going to find not singing in Times Square on New Year's Eve. You're not going to find, I believe there's an entire engagement that she leaves out. She tells the story very much her own way in the way that she wants to and tells the parts of the story she wants to. And Brian, as he mentioned, huge gaps missing in Britney's narrative, but she just, she doesn't sweat that. She focuses on telling the story with the kind of voice that she wants to tell it in. I think it compares very favorably to her previous memoir. I don't know if you guys are big fans of Heart to Heart, the book that she wrote with her mom, Lynn Spears, way back in the the long ago innocent days of Y2K, when, of course, it was natural that Britney would write a memoir in, in I believe, pretty early Y2K. I think it's even before the second album came out with Lynn. And of course, as the, the copy on my cover of the paperback says on the back, it's a tribute to how her mom is not just her mom, but her best friend. And of course, this is a very different perspective on the story 23 years later, but she's definitely not the first pop star who's done a childhood in the moment version of her biography. And then a adult looking back on it, somewhat distanced look at it. And they make very interesting side-by-side -side reading if you happen to be into that kind of thing, which as a Britney fan, for many years, I certainly am. Rob, how would you compare it specifically to the memoir that Brian Wilson wrote with his <laughs> allegedly manipulative Spengali Dr. Landy, and then, then the, the subsequent real memoirs he did? Would you say somewhat similar? Very comparable. Look, rock stars, they often do multiple memoirs sometimes completely contradicting everything they've said before. I think Mick Fleetwood has done about six of them. And I think most of them are called actually Fleetwood. I'm not spreading out wildly, Mick Fleetwood, but you know, a lot of people have done that with very different tones, very different takes on the same stories. But this is obviously a unique book because Britney was under a conservatorship for such a long time when she was unable, quite honestly, to say anything legally or physically. She was guarded at all times. It was a... Uh, truly horrifying experience. And so this is a completely unique kind of pop star autobiography. There's never been one of these before. Yeah. And I also, I wonder if it's thinking about the things that she does end up sharing. Um, obviously, there are still like other gaps, but the things that she does share to the second album, that was a time when she was doing a lot of press and she was on a huge, huge press tours. And obviously the narrative around the album was not like us as music nerds who are curious about it, um, like want to know. But I mean, you know, she, I wonder if it's like, she was like, I've talked about it and like, I don't have much more that I want to say versus like the Justin stuff that they didn't share a lot of their relationship super openly or 
the Colin Farrell relationship, things like the those like juicy things that she didn't talk about for a long time, and even thinking about the albums that she shared the most about, which are her debut and Blackout. Those are the two albums that she probably was like, these are things that I just never really got to share. So I wonder if there's a lot of that in what she chose too, where it's these are the things left unsaid from a career where there's been a lot that I've had to say. There's also, and I want to get to what's in it because what's in it is often horrifying and wrenching. And the conservatorship is absolutely a horror show in the book. It's so disturbing. But the tragedies in her life don't start there. I don't know if everyone knows, but the family history is just startling. The history of women being locked up and gaslighted and abused in her, on her father's side. Her grandmother committed suicide on her child's grave. And, and her, her grandfather had a history of locking up his wives more than one in mental asylums against their will. So there's this dark, gothic history in her family. Yeah. And there's something so, there's been a bit written about this before, but there's something so eerie and dark about this sort of bright, sprightly pop figure coming, emerging from this gothic swamp of horror briefly, and then being plunged back into it, unfortunately. And then other stuff early on, I mean, of course, I don't know if Justin Timberlake can ever come back from the portrayal of him in this book. What do you think, Brittany? I mean, I'm sure he will. I have complicated feelings about a lot of it, especially in terms of the framing of it by Brittany, as opposed to the framing of it by the fans. I particularly found a lot of the public reaction to her telling of the abortion to be very troubling uh, for a lot of reasons. I think that the public reaction to it was very gross and puritanical in a lot of the ways that Britney speaks out against in it. Um, I think do, that it's... Do you think it was sort of like pro-lifey, the, the reaction? Like or? a little bit. I don't know. I think it's very reasonable for a 19-year-old to say that he's not ready to be a father, and I think that's okay. And I think that's okay for him to express. And I also think it's very reasonable to be put in that situation and and still question whether that was the right one. I think paint anyone as a villain in that situation is really gross to me. So he was a villain elsewhere, though. That coming out early and the way people reacted to it, I found to be really disturbing. But that being said, there are many things to be mad at him about in this book. And I think that was not one of them. <laughs> um, I think like him being a pretty relentlessly shitty boyfriend is, of course, terrible. I think the way that he treated the breakup after, I mean, it was just kind of heartbreaking. I mean, they were both very young. You know, they were children who became very famous very early and they went from both kind of growing up. Justin was also like, he didn't grow up with a lot. And I think them both being stuck into these worlds where they are either Brittany has a lot of rules put on her as a woman. Justin has no rules because he's a man. They had very different experiences and yet also found a lot of solace in each other was beautiful about the narrative arc, but obviously that led to a lot of destruction, obviously put on Britney by Justin. And I think that it's, you know, it is very sad. It all, it all just makes me sad, but... I honestly think you're being way too easy on Justin. Yeah, I think the Crimea River stuff, I think the actual course of the relationship is all horrible. And I think it's the same thing with the Janet stuff, where I think like there is a lot that he could have said to protect these women that he didn't do is ultimately very bad and like should he should be judged and like i said i think there's a lot to be angry at him for but i think people were directing their anger at everything <laughs> yeah well, the public reaction to that was so upsetting that it was difficult to contextualize the other stuff in the book about mm -hmm. justin being shitty and in, in in ways that he 
is being shitty about. And the public reaction really obscured that. But for stuff like the infidelities in the book and Crimea River, which is such a stark and, and really vicious moment in his mm-hmm. career that cost him a lot of goodwill that's very just very hard for him to undo in retrospect. Uh, it really began his solo career in a way that was not didn't look good at the time and doesn't look good in retrospect. And so the revelations about him in the book fit into that and the way he really did quite directly found his whole solo career on this rejection of Britney and this... On a lie, though. On a lie. Let's be yeah. specific. That's I, where I think... That's where I think that Britney... That's where I think that... I think it's important to... I think Britney's absolutely right. The abortion thing was extremely bizarre. It was this weird, puritanical, almost pro-lifey thing. But for me, the thing fundamentally what... I think Justin needs to apologize for, and the the apology may not be enough in some people's eyes, is not only did he, even if she had cheated on him and he was the innocent young man, it still was obviously slut-shaming and and screwed up. But to, you know, assuming her account is true and there's no reason not to think so, if he was repeatedly cheating on her and all she did was make out with some guy at one night at a bar, and then he as Rob says, founds his entire soul career on this narrative of he's the wronged man and puts a, puts some in one of the, the a video that people sh- saw how many times cast an actress who looks like her and does a whole thing about he's the wronged man. I, I mean, I think that's shocking. It's, it's, it's even, it already was bad, but it, it's, he made up a total fake scenario milk sympathy for it and then put her in this position as she says where she had to answer for this crime of being a young cheater i think it's it's always been pretty pretty dammy i think finally hearing it from britney's side obviously she didn't say anything for a long time and just let herself be pummeled by people and also again i think it was an important narrative arc throughout the book where she was sort of you know, she would run into Justin at award shows and like she ran to Justin right before the the Gimme More performance that, you know, that very infamous Gimme More performance and that sort of in the middle of this kind of constant spiral of being hounded by paparazzi and feeling really dizzy and being, you know, postpartum and not feeling like totally ready to be back on stage again and running into Justin, who's the, at the height of his career. I think it was a really great sort of parallel that she puts of what happened and what sort of diverged from them being sort of pop royalty in the 2000s together like i said it's not it's not a great look for justin like i said he'll probably be fine because he's a man and it's always going to be like fine for him he's justin timberlake i don't know i I think it's going to be rough for him but keep in mind as i think it is true that he he was about to have a solo album and do a big tour so he's gonna have have an interesting press run let's put it that way yeah for sure um (laughs) in other other news trolls band together coming to a theater near you we're gonna we're gonna get an nsync reunion tour announcement in (laughs) six months you you mean he's dropping this solo? yeah he's gonna (laughs) it's gonna be officially it's gonna be nsync goes on tour you're um, so right. With Justin, that's going to be the thing. It was interesting that the one thing she said she was glad about was that he revealed that they had a sex life because she was actually incredibly sick of her own team pushing her virginity narrative. narrative. Yeah. So she, she actually was thankful to him for mentioning that, which is just like, oh, well, that actually makes sense thinking as an adult. With like the Jessica Simpson book, too, like I thought about that a lot. And I think hearing it from Britney's perspective, too, it's just like it is like so deeply insane 
that sort of narrative that was pushed on for well over a decade on pop stars of this kind of, they all must be virgins and yet also very sexy, but they cannot have sex with their also hot boyfriends who are very famous. No, they simply must be virgins. And it's just insane into their early 20s that people just expected from them. But yeah, I think that was also that was a very kind of like darkly funny uh, moment in, in the memoir where she was just like, thank God he said that. Well, it's weird. I mean, you know, Westerners act like it's so bizarre that there's a sort of custom in K-pop to not admit that you're dating anyone yeah. as if they act like, oh, we're so far beyond that. But it was just a few years ago that all right. like you said we had this insane thing where you had to be the sexiest person on earth, but insist you, you've never had sex. It's such a sickness if you really think about it. And then the other thing is to know how that we never could have known i guess there were maybe hints of it but how truly devastated and depressed she was at the end of that breakup that's another thing that that seems in in her book that's the first time the sort of emotional darkness seems to really become pervasive in her life it shattered her apparently this was someone that she had known since she was really young and she had known him years before they would go on to become household names. They worked together. They had this this bond, this very rare bond that, you know, like not many people can really say. Like it's, you know, they they didn't meet when they were at the height of their fame. They met like before people knew them. I really loved the section where she goes back to Louisiana after Mickey Mouse Club and she had this like normal childhood and this like, you know, or like, you know, kind of like normal teen years almost and in between everything then comes back into it. And then her and Justin are on the same track again. It is clear that in spite of a lot of the really terrible things, there was a genuine kind of intense love between them in in between, which is why I'm kind of like, that's why it makes me so sad and kind of um, there are parts of it where I do end up feeling for both of them because it just seems like there was a lot that they shared that they couldn't really share with other people. She talked about how Justin's family was her family. She went to his house for the holidays because her family was still such a mess. But there was this real sort of like normalcy that she almost got from that relationship that she didn't really have in her relationships after that. And or at least in what she details in the book. I was really struck by the passage where she talks about being in a vocal booth for like in her perception for months at a time one was in new jersey and one was in sweden it didn't make yeah. any difference she was just recording and recording she didn't even know whether she's in sweden or new jersey because all she saw was the vocal booth which i'm sure felt true i mean rob i did feel it you know that also spoke to her craft and her seriousness as an artist which again i you know i would love to get more of um, but it was, there was something very vivid, I thought, about that image of her just locked in a vocal booth for months. Yes, yeah, she was very much on the hamster wheel, very much in the tunnel. The famous John Lennon quote about the early days of the Beatles, all we saw was a car and a room and a room and a train and a car and a <laughs> yeah. room and a train. And that's very much the wheel that she was on, especially at this time when she was seen as the bon vivant of living the pop dream. And the parts in the book where she goes into that are really kind of moving. It was always moving in interviews where she would talk about her work routine, which was extremely rigorous, extremely disciplined, extremely exhausting. 
and always of zero interest to her interviewers. So something that was always mm. fascinating reading her interviews from the very beginning was she had a lot to say about this aspect of her life. I remember interviewing her soon after the movie Almost Famous came out, and she talked about how much she loved that movie because it captured how boring it is to be on tour. And it was so interesting to hear her say that. She's like, yeah, all the scenes where everybody just goes to catering and they're all just standing around. And it was really funny because her perspective on the movie was very different from most people's. And that was an aspect of her life that completely dominated her performing life, as it does for most touring performers. And that very interesting discussions in the book about that. Yeah. It's interesting that she talked about being having severe social anxiety after the Justin breakup, which again is just people fundamentally it's just a reminder we don't know these people. <laughs> you know, even even when we sometimes when we interview them, who would have imagined that Britney Spears in the early 2000s had severe social anxiety, the most glamorous person on earth, right? Who must have been living the most fabulous life you could ever imagine, had social anxiety could barely stand to call someone on the phone. I was fascinated that she, I did try to be social. Natalie Portman, who I'd known since we were little girls in, in the New York theater circuit, and I even hosted a New Year's Eve party together. I, I did that. I, I did want to know more about that. I love <laughs> I the photos there. from that. Those are oh some of my, my yes. favorite photos from the early 2000s. I really, that is a, a scene that I would like more details of. Like I would like a, a scene report from inside of that New Year's party. I needed, I needed absolutely, I needed five more pages yes. on it. I want time-traveling Brittany to go back in time <laughs> yeah. to, to that party. I must attend this party. You absolutely have to attend this party. <laughs> you should do so like a whole fanfic novel about this scene. It's a moment in time. I feel sure somehow that Moby was there and left in a pallet. <laughs> I, I, I'm about 90% sure that that happened. Hoping for more in this book about Melissa Joan Hart, which was, oh. a, Brit <laughs> oh, yeah. was there. a Britney friendship that a lot of us invested a lot of emotional yeah. energy in. I, we all had a lot, a lot of hopes for this, this celebrity friendship that they had going on around the time of You Drive Me Crazy video, where yeah. I was loved Britney's guest appearance on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And conversations they have there about stardom are so frighteningly and bizarrely and out of nowhere real when Britney tells her that being in a crowd is the loneliest place to be. Melissa Joan Hart, I feel like, was at that party. I think Jar Jar Banks was probably there. Jar Jar uh, was corner. totally there. Jar Jar was yeah. totally there. <laughs> Can I mention my uh, favorite celebrity cameo in the book? Oh, yeah. Please. Um, well, I actually have two. One is Big Rob, the security guard, <laughs> oh, yeah. who has, uh, like, the, like, he comes up twice, I believe. Once is she talks about how, and for further context for everyone listening, Big Rob is was the Jonas Brothers security guard after he worked with Britney and a bunch of other pop stars and did the verse on Burning Up. That is one of the best <laughs> verses of all time. And she talks about how incredibly wonderful he was and how sweet he was, which I loved because I just love Big Rob. I think he's just like a great little like side celebrity character. But also then she talks about later during sort of like some of the more harrowing times about how she really wished she had just called Big Rob when I think it was there's like a chase or something like one of the terrible kind of moments um, leading up to the conservatorship where she wished she had really called Big Rob, which made me sad because he just seemed like a wonderful presence in her life. And the other was the basically page she spends on Mariah Carey meeting Mariah Carey, how starstruck she was. I think that was like, outside of a lot of the sadness, which is so palpable in a lot of the book, I think there's like a lot of these really beautiful moments of a, a young girl who's really plucked out of 
this horrible home situation and a lot of the trauma that she had endured for a lot of her life and then is placed into like the fairy tale elements of pop music which is her getting to meet artists that she really loved and admired meeting like steven tyler and befriending madonna it was fascinating to see her trying to learn from the way madonna carried herself versus the way that she carried herself which is madonna demanded that you know everyone listened to her and that she's in charge whereas britney had been unfortunately taught to sort of be apologetic and not mm -hmm. ask for anything and you know if you broke your heel just somehow make it through this the performance and madonna's like the opposite uh in a way that she tried to learn from so i thought that was kind of moving and interesting and also i guess madonna tried to bring her into kabbalah uh, oh yeah and, the, and, and honestly it, the bracelet <laughs> scene it was so like it was like so 2000 what was it two 2003 or whatever and i was like this is such like a peak moment of this but it was also really sweet because it was just like it was after the breakup and everything going on and like i think you know madonna was was just kind of giving her this like this helping hand that i think it seemed like she she wasn't getting from a lot of other people. So um, that hand had a, a red string bracelet on it. <laughs> Absolutely. What beautiful. <laughs> uh, th those, those passages are so beautiful. Also, I love that this friendship meant so much to Brittany and mm -hmm. was so kind and generous on Madonna's part in ways that nobody had nobody realized at the time. And this is when Madonna was wearing a Britney t-shirt on stage in her mm -hmm. music era. And it's so funny because people just assumed that was some kind of sarcastic joke. But Britney Spears herself always said that it always meant a lot to her. And she like began wearing Madonna t-shirts in public whenever she could. But it's just, it's really beautiful that that was a real bond. And it, yeah. it says a lot about Madonna. One of the most hilariously shady things in the book is when she completely writes Christina Aguilera out of that performance with Madonna <laughs> with the kiss. <laughs> she just unpersons her from the performance. Nobody, why, why would yeah, she? No, no, nobody yeah. remembers it. That was something that I was, I was shocked there wasn't more details on, on her and Christina's relationship because it, you know, there is sort of the, the anger that she has at that, at a Rolling Stone cover of Justin and Christina doing a cover together and her anger at sort of Christina saying it was a comment where she had said in the interview that she thinks Justin and Brittany should get back together. I, I kind of wish we had more. I feel like there's a lot more lore left out of it. Yes. That kind of connects them. Christina pops up at random, but that's like the most kind of anger that Brittany directs at her. And it's come up in the over the years, you know, like Brittany had done a really um, angry post about Christina on Instagram about Christina not speaking up for her um with the conservatorship and you know kind of calling out christina kind of ignoring a question about it but yeah i think i am curious more about that relationship and if we'll ever it's probably very again there are, there are things left unsaid that i i honestly don't think we're ever going to get another memoir from her i think this is the most we're going to hear from her because it does seem like she has a lot of peace that she wants and needs but yeah i, I would i am very curious about what happened between them <laughs> i would for like sure. to know <laughs> for sure there's look she, she may not do it but there's definitely enough for a second book that's all i'm saying oh yeah there's, if she wanted to do it she, she could absolutely do it some uh, lawyers will have could... to sleep with the fishes between now and yeah. then yeah <laughs> i'm sure a lot of the britney christina relationship over time that's just that's a very messy story i was surprised that there was yeah i don't know how she would be able to to work yeah. Christina more into this book. Then there's Kevin Federline. There's also the account of her Vegas marriage. And which, Colin Farrell. Yes, and Colin Farrell. She um, did have time for Colin Farrell. Yes. I almost, they, I forgot they dated. Breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner, so to speak. It, it was a mauling, I think she said. That's yeah, two cool. weeks, Good, a two-week brawl. 
good for her. Good for her. You get it, girl. But the Vegas marriage thing was interesting because I think possibly still to this day, she's a little unclear about the fact that when you get married in Vegas, it's a real marriage because yeah. she's, she's she's still like, why was it such a big deal? <laughs> you could have given half your money to this guy. But I like yeah. how she just casually, it's what we thought. They were drunk, whatever. And, and she I was think like, I was very bored. <laughs> she's very bored. She was rebelling. She was trying to punish her family for sucking by scandalizing them as she was getting the, taking the freedom she had. And it, w- it was kind she's, of what people thought, but it, in yeah. the sense, but people didn't know what she was rebelling against. And now yeah. we have a better sense. Yeah. But, and then, yeah, Kevin Federline, who, again, it's what people thought. It's like this guy thought he was a real celebrity. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, was bragging to her that he was at a party with Justin Timberlake. It was the most tone deaf thing you could have one yeah. spouse saying to another. I met Justin Timberlake. So crazy. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with that guy? <laughs> I, I love the bless his heart about taking his rap career seriously. Yeah. Such a, that was really a, beautiful. A fatal, yeah. <laughs> a fatal bless his heart. Just That was an extreme, <laughs> yes. That was an extreme deep south bless yeah. his heart. That was really <laughs> the most passive aggressive yeah. phrase in, in southern history. Bless his heart. I, I lived in the South for years before I had any idea what people meant when they were saying, bless your heart. But I, I just love how that slips into that story. Yeah. Kevin is such a, a weirdly engaging character in the book because he is so plainly like he's a book that, you know, one can judge by the cover in so many ways. He's yeah. in some ways it's he's a relief in the book because he's such a straightforward. So is yeah. what he seems to be in in ways that are very much positive not just negative like he's not working a hidden agenda it's a very upfront sort of thing yeah it was just there what's up everyone it's reality steve your number one source for all things bachelor nation and reality tv every day i'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your bachelor nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars my name has been synonymous with spoilers but i'm so much more than that give me a listen the reality steve podcast part of the believe network just search b-l-e-a-v on youtube or wherever you listen there is that amazing one of the worst red flag moments of all time she's been hanging out with him for weeks and someone goes you know he's a new dad right and then she goes to him wait you have children she's like yeah i see him once a month (laughs) oh my god i feel that perhaps she might have taken a bit more warning off of that but you know love the heart wants what it wants i guess she was so young i mean that's the other thing it's just like all of this she's so young and young in ways that like you literally just don't know better and young in ways that like even less when you're in this like this bubble for so long that you don't really want to be in and there's no escaping it. So I think that's like just remembering how young she is, because even like thinking about when she had her kids, like, I mean, she's so she's, she's young, like, you know, that's, it's like, it's a lot to think about what she kind of was going through, through a lot of this. Yeah. And she had, you know, I didn't, I had forgotten that she got pregnant with her second kid three months after giving birth to the other ones. And when she talks about, when she talks about postpartum issues, if she was someone who was sensitive to that, imagine the sort of chemical roller coaster that she put herself through by having that happen twice in such succession yeah. that that could explain a lot of what happened it's and it, it seems like she, she's always gotten the worst in some cases actively malevolent medical care really i think scary. like even i mean just the way that people generally talked about postpartum depression and any sort of postpartum issues um just weren't talked about and i mean especially on top of that again like to you know what happens to what the type of like mental and physical pain that a woman goes through after an abortion as well i'm sure that was still that was only a couple years before this people didn't know that was like a real 
a real side effect, a real thing that happened. Thinking about how much of this happened in such a short period of time, her eldest son just turned 18, that it's it's just all these things just happened so quickly. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's also on top of her being mistreated before and being involuntarily put into a conservatorship, like there was a lot being swept under the rug in order to make her work and make her get on the road and make another album to be present and be a star on top of all the other bullshit that women just aren't meant to be informed about. And then, yeah, she wasn't allowed to see her kids. It's from her perspective, so it gets a little blurry. There was something going on with custody. That's what triggered a lot of the initial mental health issues is she just, it devastated her. Whatever legitimate issues she had were clearly used by, I think it's fair to say, by her family, by her father, who they exploited whatever was going on with her, I think she would say. Brittany would say that they exploited whatever her legitimate issues were, and I'm sure she had them. But lots of people have issues. That doesn't mean yeah. lots of rich people have issues. Lots of famous people have issues. They have terrible issues. They might even be hospitalized. But that doesn't mean that you get put into a conservatorship intended for like elderly people who don't know where they are. There's no justification for that. Whatever, the, whatever was going on, there's no justification for that. And that's why she was ultimately freed. But it took... 13 years and those 13 years i think i don't know what you, you two thought but it was even worse than you could imagine reading about it it, it, yeah. was, it was it was it was like a combination of every horror story you've ever read about mm-hmm. a pop star being controlled but 10 times worse i mean there were elements of the kesha stuff but times a million the restrictions on her eating um were very familiar from other stories um but nothing i've ever read in a maybe in any celebrity autobiography ever is as chilling as the moment when she says her father sat down across from her and said, I am Britney Spears now. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. It's the, even just getting the condensed version when she did her testimony, um, I believe it was at 2020, um, because conservatorship ended in 2021. Um, But, you know, even hearing that, I mean, that was already so just like horrifying to hear her say and to get even more details. I mean, it's just, just it's again it's just all very sad like, it just makes me like so sad about everything that you know could have been for her and that's not even as a fan wanting this like dream version of britney's career where after blackout she's able to continue having creative control and this be able to explore all those things that she deserved to explore but i mean just really again like what she wanted was just peace and like it just really sucks to to kind of see how much was stolen from her and stolen you know she just she wanted to be with her her babies and she wanted all these kind of normal things and it's just really it's just all really sad they literally forced her it's what she describes is so scandalous that it doesn't it feels like simply laying it out in a book and having people know it isn't enough it feels like there should be possibly even criminal investigations of what she talks about because i mean they forced her to work I mean, they yeah. forced her to work. They forced her to do all this stuff and didn't give her any time off. And what it was, it just was, that's how her life had been up until then already. But they just made it official that she was completely not in control of herself and that she would work and not even get access to her own money yeah. that she was working for and couldn't take the vacation she wanted and couldn't change the songs in her set list if she wanted to. I mean, it's like a Black Mirror episode. It's like a yeah. specific Black Mirror episode, the one with Miley Cyrus. They they, yeah. they wanted to make her into like an automaton who just was making money with no agency whatsoever. It was like, a, it really is emblematic. Sometimes the industry does take control for certain figures and 
that they're not allowed to express themselves. This was the ultimate horror movie version of that, the most extreme version of something that you, you do hear versions of. And it was a one-of-a-kind thing. It was certainly, this is certainly, this book is a one-of-a-kind account just because it's a captivity narrative about that kind of experience that's very unlike any other experience that we know of in pop music. Something, yeah. um, This kind of captivity and imprisonment that she describes, this kind of trafficking that she describes, it's not the kind of first-hand narrative that we have any parallel to in pop history. And pop stars will often use the metaphor and self-pitying moments of, of having been captives or prisoners of their success. But Britney's story was, it was unique from the beginning. Everybody knew that this was something that had never happened before. And given the extreme circumstances, people were a, a little taken aback, but not knowing how extreme this was. And as time went on and public outrage started to build about it, it was something that certainly seemed unprecedented and, and unparalleled. This account that we have from her in this book, it's really the first kind of account like this that we have. There were times in the Vegas residency and stuff where people would say, geez, she seems so unhappy. She seems like she's going through the motions. And she literally says, I was going through the motions. Like I damped yeah. down my energy and I deliberately, I didn't want to give them everything. I gave them like a small fraction of what I can give. And it just shows like fans were exactly right. But yeah, Rob, what surprised you? I guess... I could have used more about her music in this period because one of the eternal paradoxes of Britney all through all the different phases of her career, but definitely including this one, is that she made some absolutely brilliant pop music during this period. And people were always very quick to say that, to assume that she had nothing to do with her music. And she certainly was more than happy to let people have that impression. I'm so intrigued about the albums that she made, the singles that she made during this period when she was a captive. And of course, like we look for this, even at the time, listening to these records, it was shocking. And especially when it was like an explicit theme of the music as in a song like Private Show. Which honestly, not a lot of people like that song. I'm probably one of the Britney fans who likes it most among all the fans of her music in the world, but where she's really describing this kind of show, as you said, where she's a captive who is, it's not like there are snipers watching her dance on stage, but it's not all that far off. She is a captive who is not free to leave the show or, as as you mentioned, to change the set list even, that she's being so micro-controlled on that level. And I guess for me, the eternal question that remains a question after reading this book is how this music came out of those circumstances. Yeah. What did this actually look like on a just a level of what, how was she actually, was she able to like really express herself in the studio? Was it going through the motions in the way that she felt like she was doing on stage? Yeah, I know. Totally. I, I'm also very curious about that. I think about an album like Femme Fatale, which is just an yeah. absolute landmark pop album of her great trilogy of that era, you know, with Blackout and Circus and Femme Fatale, Femme Fatale just like really stands out as you know, a record that is made really by a captive and the intensity of that record. And it's funny, and we learn, we, we never learn anything hearing from her collaborators who tend to be, uh, no offense, but kind of bitter and uh, mm -hmm. uh, a little <laughs> thirsty for credit sometimes in ways that don't really elucidate how Britney is part of this creative process. But it's very interesting that music that is vibrant and full of personality and full of life comes out of this period that's just a very gloomy period of captivity for her. It's, yeah. it's a question that, for me, is more fascinating than ever after reading this book. 
She names two songs as among her favorites that she wished she could have performed in Vegas. Uh, Get Naked, I Got a Plan. Same. Uh, from Blackout, which, which I guess she also mentioned on Instagram. I love what the uh, Britney Spears wiki says about it. It's a, this is a very accurate description. An up-tempo, club-inspired song about intercourse. Thank you, Britney Spears Wikipedia. Change Your Mind is another one that she loves. Yeah. Uh, also a good song and a fan favorite too, interestingly, but she wasn't allowed to perform them. Yeah. As through the book, and I wasn't expecting this, so I can't say that I was disappointed or even surprised. I could have used a lot more about her actual music. I could have used, maybe that'll be another book, hopefully. I could have used a whole chapter about Passenger. I could have used a lot more about the music yeah. from the book. And it, it is funny that she singles out on these two songs, which are deep cuts, neither of them a hit. And I, I would love even more about these songs, why she loves them so much, what she loves about them. And personally, I hope that she will celebrate by doing a you know, month-long marathon, maybe a residency that's just her favorites. None of the yeah. hits, just an hour of Get Naked, I Got a Plan every night. Yeah. <laughs> she mentioned that she, you know, all she wanted to do was do, you know, cool rearrangements of her songs and she wasn't allowed to do that. And then there's, I forgot what award, but the award ceremony where her sister gets to perform her songs and she describes sitting there absolutely fuming yeah. that, that her sister gets to do a fun rearrangements of her song while she sits in the audience. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing is the word. Oh my gosh. Of, of course, I thought of that when I was, of course, <laughs> as you do, as I was rewatching the movie Crossroads, which of course yeah. is a Britney cinematic classic, which was back in theaters this week to, uh, to, to celebrate the book. And something I love is, is you know, it's a little detail that, that Jamie plays the young Britney in the movie, that in the movie, yeah. wow. like Jamie plays Britney as a child, uh, Jamie's first time on screen as a, as a budding movie star. And just funny, that long-running dysfunctional sisterhood is something that just runs through this book. If you haven't... I did. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to add, I loved all the movie details in the book. The notebook, of course, like how she almost did that, yes. but she was accidentally method acting her crossroads. She didn't realize that she was getting so entrenched in this character that she was like, I, ca I simply cannot go to the 40s and like become part of this Nicholas Sparks book and like do this. Um and then also how she was almost in Chicago, but yes. ended up not doing it. I was like, ah, oh, this like lost Britney Spears Chicago moment. I really I mean, she, crave. She could have been a she could have been a movie star. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She, she could have been if she wanted presence. it. Yes. Um, if she wanted it or was a Crossroads, you know, slash, a, a yeah. truly great film and mm -hmm. a truly Britney <laughs> film. And the genius of Tamara Davis just letting her be Britney in the movie and letting her spend half the movie singing along with songs on the radio. If it, the if it makes you happy scene. Uh, Absolutely. Ultra classic. Ab ultra classic. Uh, The, the I love rock and roll scene. The bye bye mm -hmm. bye scene. The man I feel like a woman scene. The 
there's so much of that and and the brilliance of Tamara Davis knowing that this was how to tell a story that would turn out to be authentically about Britney herself. Just absolutely yeah. brilliant. And uh, this book made me very proud to be a, a fan of the movie and all her stuff about method acting, which is actually not so far from stuff she was saying at the time about making the movie and how weird it was yeah. for her to be acting and playing a character based on herself. But this makes me think that the movie career that people used to think Britney didn't have, that this is just a future part for her, that her method acting will become more and more part of her creative statement in, in years and decades to come. I'm predicting that that the Britney movie career we haven't even seen yet. Her great <laughs> years of movie stardom are still ahead of her. And then the conservatorship stuff reaches this kind of apotheosis of darkness when it gets into... She's, by her account, sent to some kind of almost one flew over the cuckoo's nest mm -hmm. slash Francis Farmer-esque rehab situation for not even really for, she says, taking over-the-counter energy supplements. So it's this like Kafka-esque bizarre thing where she's treated like an invalid, having her blood pressure taken every day. She, she obviously talked about some of this, you know, as you said in the in her initial statement, but you get a much more detailed account where she just felt like she was at the edge of death. And it's just so bizarre. You wonder what, what she describes is wildly unethical behavior by these doctors. Again, that's why I'm saying that it feels like there should be hearings or something about what was going on because it's, it's unfathomable what yeah. she says happens to her. It's so dark. At the same time, she describes making it through that. And there's a moment when she says she feels like herself. She starts to feel her spirit come back and her strength come back. And that's when she gets it together to, to find a lawyer. And it's so incredible the whole time. It's so bizarre that she was able to be duped into thinking that she wasn't allowed to get her own lawyer when she was the whole time. That's That kind of, it gives me a, a headache to think about that the whole time there was nothing stopping her, but she was fooled into thinking there was. I am curious. I know there was, you know, I wonder if this book is sort of what, again, because of the narrative and because of how important it is for her to express what she endured during that time and what happened at the hands of her father and uh, these lawyers and numerous other characters. I am curious if this is the catalyst for that, because that's something she had spoken about a bit on Instagram, of course, soon after she was free and she had this new lawyer and she talked about um, wanting to maybe press charges or to do something further. So I wonder if that's leading to that, because I was curious why there wasn't much that happened since. But, you know, I know there's also like, like Jamie Spears is basically on his deathbed right now is mm. what I've had seen. I'm not sure if there's actually any actual kind of like confirmation for that, but I had seen some reports that he was deeply sick. So I wonder what, what's going on with that, because I do hope that there's some justice beyond, of course, even just getting the story out there. I think there's so much, so many more people beyond her father that were involved with this that I think she deserves justice. And also the so many people who have this could have happened to and have spoken about that just like you, you don't, this should never happen. Um, this should have never happened in the first place and this should never happen again. I think a lot of those people are still working in the industry and I don't, I hope that more happens. Yeah, it's the sheer, what she's talking about, the rehab stuff is so barbaric and it sounds like something you'd read about in, again, like a Francis Farmer biography or something from years and years and years ago, like the blatant abuse of it is just mind boggling that that would be allowed. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And you're right. And maybe there is, maybe there's more to come. Maybe the, the book is just the latest salvo. It's touching to learn again, how much free Britney meant to her. Mm -hmm. People mock those people or whatever. They look down on them in some ways. They were right. Not right about everything. Sometimes they would then <laughs> uh, get conspiratorial. They, they were right that she needed to be freed. And, and it meant everything to her that while she was locked away, people cared about her. Yeah. I mean, there was many years where 
this was just not it was just very much treated as normal and again like that's why the the wig detail is that stuck out to me so much because the conversation about the performances was that it's like she's lost her talent and it's no (laughs) she's been literally imprisoned by her family for years now that's it's yeah like it's just it's kind of wild how those conversations the narrative of them was so much still blaming her and not the circumstances she was she had been forced into and i think a lot of people just treated it as normal and i, you know, I think a lot of it was just not having a lot of information this was a thing that had never happened before to someone so young and <coughs> an idea of a conservatorship i think people just thought she was losing her mind she shaved off her hair and like she was hitting you know she was locking herself in the bathroom with her kids and like all this other stuff she was partying with paris hilton i think people just thought she deserved that because of the circumstances that led up to it and I don't think people understood just how serious it was and just how intense it was. Again, I mean, you know, yes, she probably, like many people, she probably struggles with mental illness. So she doesn't, in the book, she doesn't, she doesn't really acknowledge that, if that's the case. I mean, she talks about postpartum depression, but she doesn't talk about any other diagnosis. She mm-hmm. clearly had other diagnoses because she was on Prozac, then she was on other, I mean, there were at least, Doctors thought she had some kind of other diagnosis. She elides that, which is her right. She doesn't mention that. But again, she may or may not struggle with mental illness. As you know, it seems like the preponderance of evidence suggests she does. But that doesn't mean you get you have to be in a conservatorship. That's I, the, yeah, you know. I think there was a lot of misdiagnoses that may have occurred, and a lot of just a lot of malpractice. I think it's just probably yeah. I think it's just malpractice. I think there was that she dealt with that. We've seen that repeatedly with celebrities. That is not something that is new. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of celebrities die from this level of malpractice. And I think that's something that we've seen with a lot of famous people being taken advantage of. You're right. I, I There probably is a lot of trauma still to deal with. But ultimately, she deserves her freedom. She always had. She always had deserved her freedom. And whatever she has to deal with is her right to deal with however she wants to deal with. And I think a lot of people are focused on whether she wants to make music. And Rob, it sounds like you do think that she's going to go back to showbiz in some way. Yeah, definitely. That's her life. That's what she knows. That's been the happy part of her life. And as often with people who have nightmare showbiz families, the work becomes (laughs) something that uh, becomes more rewarding once they finally become adults and they can play with it a little more. So I, I think it's almost inevitable that she will stay in show business. I think That is, I think she's a music fan, even though that isn't a major theme of this particular book. It's certainly like some of the best parts of the book. And I think her being a music fan is a huge part of what people love about her. And one of the running themes about Britney's life is that people just love her. And that through all her career, even when she's gone through periods where she's having trouble creatively as well as in every other ways, even in periods where she's not necessarily that prolific, even in periods where people are just not clear what at all is happening with her. People just love her. She inspires this affection in people. She's always had that every girl appeal that people just like her and relate to her, even when she's far removed from the sort of things that people associate with her, the hit records and performances. And I think for her, she can do whatever she wants. And I think what she will do is keep performing. I, I sure hope she keeps making music. She's one of the truly legendary pop musicians of her generation, quite apart from being a pop star, she's just put her name on more great records in this century than than 
most other artists that people think of as her peers. And I think for her, she'll continue to make music. I would love to see her sort of expand the acting part of what she does, if that's something that she feels like she wants to go back to. The whole point is, hopefully writing this book will be beginning a new period for her of creative control and creative freedom. And call me crazy, call me a Britney fan, but I'm somebody who thinks that we have a lot more to look forward to from her. And I certainly hope that she feels that way. Brittany, can you see, do you see it the same way or can you see a world where she really may be retired? I think it'll be a long time. Mm. I think there's a lot of stuff still lingering from this. Again, I do think that it'll, I think there is more justice to be served and I hope that happens in whatever way is best for her. And I think that there's a lot that she's still dealing with in terms of even just the the reaction to the book and the way that she hasn't really been able to go on vacations. And I think sort of the kind of negative elements of, you know, again, I don't think Free Britney is negative, but I think there's been sort of conspiratorial elements of it that comes with any pop fandom, but I think has been sort of not totally believing her or kind of a lot of ideas that she you know a lot uh, just a lot of like silly stuff that's come out as rob points out she people love her and people really they do care about her i think that there's a lot of reconciling that probably needs to happen with the idea of what pop fandom is now and what it means to also express that love for someone especially for someone like britney who was so hounded for so long and so caged even before she was truly caged it just i i I think that there's probably an element that she just needs to chill in some way, whatever that means, um, in like the the very general sense of, you know, she needs to just like find her uh, zen for a little bit more. And it seems like a lot of, you know, she, it seems like she has in a lot of moments. She's seems like she's getting based on this all for Instagram that I, I open every day. You know, that she goes on vacations and she she's befriending people like, Jay Balvin, Maluma. She's she seems like she's in a moment of living her life and recentering herself and finding her real friends and negotiating her relationship with her family. It seems like she goes back and forth a lot on her relationship with her mom and with her sister. And I think that's very fair. I hope that there is more of Britney, though. I, I would love that. I think there's still a lot of life that she is trying to get back right now. And I think it might be some time before she is. But I, I hope that we get that again from her one day. And will this book become a biopic? I mean, probably. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a biopic. I hope there's a Boz Lerman, Elvis style, or Sofia Coppola doing a Britney Spears movie. Sophia finally finds the big studio project. She'll uh, actually, honestly, she would be the, honestly the best one, especially after reading your interview. I was like, she's, she is the best one for this type pro of problem. Is I don't, I really don't think she likes that kind of music. Unfortunately, yeah. she, she's she a very like nice. I don't want to hear a bunch yeah. of. I don't want to hear a bunch of Phoenix songs over a Britney Spears biopic. Yeah, I will yeah. be honest. She's not in her <laughs> wheelhouse, would, I don't think. That would trouble me in ways that I don't think I can fully express <laughs> right now. She's a particular kind of 90s person who likes a particular kind of... who has. She loves music, but she likes a very specific slice yeah, of it. It's not a pop person. Every um, Gen Xer's so, right. But, every Gen Xer's right. Yeah. But, yeah. but she would be so good at the story, though, which is like I, I the agree, worst part I where I'm like, oh, I think she would be able to get that like that that feeling down so well. There's shots, the, the classic Sofia Coppola shots of a young woman staring at a window while being trapped somewhere. It's like, there's like a hundred of those shots in this, a thousand of those shots in this book. I mean, it's literally so, yes, just the so lucky right. video at yes. that point. But yes. yeah, I would, <laughs> I, point, yes. that would be, but I, I, I mean, I think it's inevitable that we're going to get a Britney movie one day. I don't think that's like an impossibility. I think that's like going to happen sooner rather than later. 
everyone loves a biopic. I think people want to see more. But, you know, again, like I, I kind of hope that they, whenever that happens, there's a little bit more of Britney getting to live her life and maybe eventually getting being able to be involved with that. And that's what I would hope for it. I just had flash forward nightmares of a young actress talking about the, you know, the agonizing process of putting them, you know, doing fully Austin butlering and being like, I've been Brittany for three years. And I had to be, you know, like I'm, I had to they be get down the Southern accent just, and they can't yeah, break it. It's like Millie Bobby it, yeah. Brown doing <laughs> Brittany and she oh, just can't break the Southern accent. Yeah, the only way to like, do this as a biopic is for someone like Todd Haynes to do an I'm not there approach where there's yes. several different actors as Britney, you know, like have like Kate Blanchett doing one Britney and why not call Colin Farrell doing one Britney? Have a number of performers as Britney acting because Britney, like Dylan, I mean, that's the only way to do a movie about Dylan because so much of Dylan is myth and so much of Britney is myth. And I think that that's really the way to do this story because Britney is such a intense presence everywhere in pop culture over the past few decades that there's kind of no way no other way to do the story, in my opinion. Have multiple Britneys, all different Britneys. I, I do need us to get Todd Haynes on the line, because I do think <laughs> I, I would love that. Natalie Portman? She oh my god, Nat- yes. Okay, this could be a reenactment of the New Year's Eve party. A movie just about that New Year's Eve party would be Honestly, absolutely yeah. great. That would I be, need like the, the fanfic movie about yes, that. Yes, it would be the 200 cigarettes times Citizen Kane. That could be the Sofia Coppola movie. Yes, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Phoenix is allowed in that movie only. (laughs) Todd and Sofia, we're not even asking for EP credits. We are just, we're just giving you pearls for free here. I'm just a viewer. I'll leave a nice letterbox review. There was a Bob Dylan line in this. She was was like, why were, she, she did say at some point, she was like, people were, what were people expecting me to be Bob Dylan or something like about her? That's right. Have Dylan himself (laughs) a Britney in a scene in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Masked and anonymous. Dylan doing sure. get naked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a song about intercourse. Um, <laughs> get naked. Right, I got it playing. Well, we had to end it on a slightly lighter mood because it's intense <laughs> stuff, but uh, it's it's definitely worth a read. It goes into the Hall of Fame of legendary celebrity autobiographies. And Robin Brittany, thanks as always for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.